what's the number one tip you would give them on trying to get their dog started in shed hunting? Okay, one, the number one tip is avoid all the accidents because it's not fun. Uh, two. This segment of DOD TV is brought to you by Leopold, American to the core. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. We're powered by DeerCast, and this is episode number 250. It's halfway to 500 if you're counting. On Zoom today, Mr. Matt Drury. What's up, what's up? We got Tim Chelsvik in the studio. I'm in my studio here at home, which is basically my basement, because my son's got COVID. (laughs) He's fine, but we can't send him to school. So rain is at work and uh, I'm working from home. So we got a, we got a full zoom uh, episode today. (laughs) We're going full zoom. We're sending it. What's, what's it been like trying to work from home? Not great. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Monday was fine. Honestly, Monday was fine. I had a lot of zoom calls that I was on. I probably had four different zoom calls on Monday Uh and he was, he was great. Uh, we had just gotten him a star Wars Lego set. So he was Mm. busy yesterday. Not as great. (laughs) A lot of boredom set in. Yeah. The curve starts to go downhill. Yeah. We got, you know, this today, as we're filming this, this is what Wednesday we got uh, a few more days left. So we're getting creative around here. Luckily it was warm yesterday. We ended up going outside for a little bit and playing some baseball and, and taking a hike around the neighborhood. So yeah, you gotta get creative. That episode we had uh, Adam Wainwright on a year and a half or so ago, and I was zooming from my downstairs, and Bo came in, and he had no care that I that Daddy was trying to do something. He's trying to talk to me, and I'm like putting myself on me, like yeah, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> that was actually, I think that was our first show during the pandemic. It that could was, have been. That would have been almost two years ago. Yeah, gosh, that time is flying. It's unreal. Yep. Yeah. So, so I did mention that we have, this is our 250th episode. That's, that's intense. Yeah. You know, and, uh, our goal is to get to 300 this year. We're a little bit behind, but that's still our goal. So we'll see what we can do yet. Well, the plan is once we get to 300, we just stop. Right. <laughs> Maybe I should doing? stop at 250. <laughs> Today is the beginning of the end, everybody. Just the end. <laughs> um, I, I do want folks to know we have an author on with us today. We've got Mark Wallowitz. He's uh, an author of the book called Bullet, uh, a, a tra- Training an Accidental Shed Dog. So it's kind of that time of year where shed hunting is top of mind for folks. So in a little bit, we'll bring Mark on and we'll talk about shed hunting. That's right. In the, mean, in the meantime, we got some housekeeping to do, though, right? We do. As always, we got our shout outs. All right. So you want to get a shout out on the uh, podcast? All you got to do is go over to Facebook, type in the search bar, uh, Dre Outdoors 100% Wild Rack Pack, and uh, it's a private group. You answer a few quick, funny questions, and uh, and then you're in. And Matt, and so then. Let me, let me say, it's important that you answer the questions because we've had like some weird fake profiles try joining the group ostensibly to sell crap to people or, you know, throw fishing stuff out there. Yeah. So please (laughs) do us a favor, help us understand that you are a real person and answer the questions. Thank you, Tim. All right. 
Do what I can. Right, so I'm going to do the shout out. Tim always throws in a uh, fake name here. So let's see what we got. So right out of the gate, we got Levi Wadsworth, Wadesworth, Ben Stallman, Steven Stolzvis, <laughs> Taylor Johnson, <laughs> Choke Loafstar, hmm. Brandon Abbott, Matthew Sullivan. Are there two fake names this time? These poor people are like, I'm a real person. You're <laughs> laughing at my name. <laughs> Steven Stoltzfus is a real individual. Uh, okay, so same... let me explain why I felt like it was fake. Is because we're good friends with, and he's a Jury Outdoors team member, Steve Stoltz. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for Steven Stoltzfus to be a, a fake name. <laughs> True. And, and I had the same thought when I, when I read, it. I was like, Oh, that sounds like, well, and there was also a guy that joined up. His name is John Engelbrecht and I have a buddy named John Ellibrecht. And that screwed me up when I saw that too. And there you go. Fortunately, we have no one with a name similar to Tim Chelswick. So I'll never yeah, be screwed no, up by that. No, no one wants it. <laughs> All right. Joke Lone Star has to be the fake name since Steven Solstice is real. <laughs> Choke is definitely fake but did you notice the other person in there matt yeah ben ben stallman ben's uh ben was embedded with terry uh and forrest all fall so ben uh, was new for us this year this past year and he got he got his uh he got his learning permit real quick <laughs> he's actually also part of our live studio audience he gets, ah, yeah, he gets point. he gets to hear like he, his desk is over there. He gets to hear the other like our half of the conversation. He never gets to hear the person on the uh, the Zoom. So today he only gets to hear one third of the conversation. Sorry about that, Ben. <laughs> and he's late today, so he's not even here to get to hear his shout out. Ah, I, good point. I, I guess uh, he'll just have to pick it up when he listens to the show. And then over on uh, Apple Podcasts, we got a five star review from Haas one two nine nine two. It's awesome last name. He says, very informative and funny. This is a long one, but he says, absolutely love the podcast, especially when Mark and Terry are on. We do too. <laughs> the information on this podcast and DOD has been a big part of me improving the quality of the habitat on my farm. Changed the way we hunt. Ten years ago, you'd be hard-pressed to see a dozen deer all season, and they were one to two-year-olds at best. Now we're regularly having a whole lot more, and at times over 100. We now regularly hunt mature deer in the 150 to 170 class. How about an invite? And weighing over 200 pounds. Had one mature buck over 300 pounds in East Tennessee, and that's extremely rare. Uh, 13, and this podcast have played a huge part in turning my farm into a really nice place to watch and hunt deer and turkey. Thanks, fellars. I like how you spelled fellers. I do too. That's not the first time someone's called us fellers. Yeah, I like that. I guess that's well, that was a, a thing. That may have been the best review we've had yet. <laughs> it's great. It's great. And and like it really does make us happy when we hear that the show is having an impact on people's uh hunting success. Like that's cool. We we get the same kind of feedback for Deercast. We hear it more for Deercast. Mostly we hear people saying like, "Hey, I'd love to be entertained. I love the fact I'm not the only one that sucks at deer hunting." Uh <laughs> it's nice that we can help people kill deer too. That's right. You know, we're here to help. <laughs> That's right. That's all we can do. All right, Tim. Speaking of helping, how about we bring in our guest, Mark Wallowitz? He's a book writer. What's up, Mark? Hey, how are how are you guys doing? We're doing good, buddy. Excellent. How about you? Oh, I'm doing fine. You got a few doing sheds it. behind you. Uh, yeah, those are, I always put my new sheds on this shelf. Uh, unfortunately that's all there are for this year so far. 
Well, but, it's, uh, it's early yet. A little early, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, it's mid-February when we're recording this, so uh, you've got to jump on most people, including myself. Yeah, that, that's probably a good place to start. Let's real quick kind of give your background and, and a short synopsis of, of how you got into it. And uh, you're a Missouri transplant via where Maine, is that right? Massachusetts. 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 So give us a little bit of a rundown there. And then uh, I, I, I do have a question for you in the timing of when to go shed hunting, but we'll, we'll jump into that in a second. Okay. Well, the, the background is I grew up in Massachusetts, as uh, we already said, and uh, there were no deer in Massachusetts when I grew up, but my father was a uh, big into deer hunting. And for some reason, I, I became so interested in what he was doing at a very young age and I would go and, and practice deer hunting in the backyard. And finally, my mother convinced him to take me. And I loved it so much. Uh, and when I got out here, uh, the Army dropped me out here. And uh, I couldn't believe how many deer there were. I had actually never seen a live deer before I got out uh, to actually started in Kansas. But um, mm-hmm. And th- that got me into bow hunting and uh, more rifle hunting. And then I learned that deer lose their antlers every year, which is something else I didn't know. I didn't know that till I was about 22 years old. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, my father never taught me that. Uh, he, I guess he didn't know either. Did your but dad ever kill I, a deer? I, I, I'm sorry. Did your dad ever kill a deer out there? Yes, my uh, my dad over a 30 year deer hunting career uh, totaled three three white tail oh deer. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm just different hunting, man. But especially back then, I mean that that you know that that it was tough hunting everywhere, kind of. But but you know, sure, definitely. Well, that's what I, I understand that in Missouri, you know, about that same time, it was you know they were few and far between as well. But by the time I got out here in the late '80s, uh, it seemed like there was one behind every tree. Mm-hmm. What was it yeah. like, like in your family slash neighborhood, if? <laughs> the deer were that rare killing them even rarer and your dad killed one it, it was great there were some crazy scenes i i remember all three of them um and it was it was nuts i mean people would pour out of their houses uh to see because back then they would just tie them to the front of the car or throw them on the mm. you know the trunk of yeah. the old family sedan and drive around with them like that and nobody had really ever seen one before until Jeez. there was one riding on the car coming down the road. So it was, yeah, it was, it was like a carnival. We, we probably, we just living in the era that we live, we probably don't have the appreciation that we ought to for the conservation story leading up to where we are in this point in the history of deer hunting. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely not. I know when I, um, when I came, when I moved to Missouri, finally, um, I was so amazed by the work that uh, Missouri Department of Conservation has done. And here in the last probably 10, 12 years, I I found out that Massachusetts has modeled their conservation uh, department after Missouri. And they've really grown their herd up there as well. So there's a lot of deer up there now. That's great. That's great. So, So you come from a background where a strong passion for deer hunting, but just very little exposure to it, which, which is pretty commendable, really. I have no idea why I, I became so interested in something that, one, was boring, two, <laughs> never saw or got anything, but I looked forward to that one week a year. Uh, I mean, it was, that was like Christmas to me. 
Yeah, you're kind of like a Bigfoot hunter. Honestly, I think that That's what I a lot like. of people from your generation and Tim's and my generation couldn't relate to that because, you know, when I was a kid hunting with dad, you know, we it wasn't like what it is today. I mean, shit, we were hunting and seeing, you know, I'd be lucky to see a deer. You know, we would be hunting on 20 acres, 24 acres, and, uh, you know, you'd be done by bre- – the best part of hunting usually was the memories. So going to breakfast at 9 or 10 a.m. or, yep. you know, just you just didn't see much. So sure. I think a lot of people could probably relate to that of that age group. Uh, and then you look at say like Taylor's generation younger, it's a much different, uh, it's just a much different thing because deer hunting in the last 20 years specifically, it's just boomed along with the industry for deer hunting. And, uh, it's just become such a different, different thing than it was back then. It was so much about tradition. There's still a lot of tradition now, but back then the tradition just was like you said, looking forward to that week or that week in a gun season or whatever it was, you know, the opener, those, that was what you looked forward to. And, and if somebody killed the deer, it was great, but it really wasn't usually about that. It was more yeah. about the experience. Absolutely. That's exactly what it was getting the guys together. I know my dad had a couple of friends from his job that would go out with us and mid morning, we'd all, you know, meet, and uh, build a fire and sit around and well basically tell ghost stories because nobody ever really saw anything but yeah it was a lot of fun i i don't want to belabor this point um and we can move on after this but it's important to note the reason we are here in this epic in in deer hunting is with with in most places in the country there's there's a, a pretty good they're pretty good herd populations we are not here because of animal rights activists or no. anti-hunters <laughs> no in fact right now there's um what did i see on the sportsman's uh god it was a the facebook page sportsman's that, alliance uh, yeah and uh what is it that biden's talking to uh animal rights act activists right now about uh uh hunting on public land yeah it's like okay Mm -hmm. it just gets worse yeah they certainly didn't get us here uh again you know from up new england where i'm from that's you know lyme lyme disease that that's in in my opinion and everything i've ever seen that's just for overpopulation you know if if somebody doesn't take care of it nature will take care of it i wonder if they thought about outlawing lyme disease uh, well, maybe, yeah. <laughs> see, see how that goes. That that'd be awesome. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. So, so you, you kind of took us through your interest in in deer and deer hunting. So, yeah. you know, based on your book title, how did you get into shed hunting and that aspect of it? Okay, you mentioned the book title. It was by accident because I came out here and the only thing, I mean, my dad would hunt grouse and squirrel and pheasant and things like that. Not very successfully, except for the grouse. Mm-hmm. But um, I was all about the deer. I, I didn't care about birds, but when I got out to the Midwest, it seemed everybody cared about birds. And um, uh, some guys in the, ar- some army buddies of mine talked me into a pheasant hunt in Northwest Missouri. And uh, I, I was skeptical at first, and I ended up more than skeptical because I went with them and it was horrible. We marched across so many crop fields full of weeds and whatnot. While I was out there, uh, bird hunt, supposedly bird hunting, allegedly, I, I actually, 
it's hard to believe, but it's true. I actually stepped on something in this field and I felt a, a, something hit my shin. And I, 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 I'm, I'm embarrassed, but I thought I, I was bitten by a snake. <laughs> and when I looked down, I was standing on a deer antler. And I had no idea how it had gotten there, and that's that's where I learned that these uh, these shed uh, the deer shed their antlers. That was the first thing I, I accidentally stepped on one, and that started this whole ball rolling. So, and what year was that? Oh my God! Now, let's say maybe 1990 or so. Yeah. Okay. So far, the theme in your entire life story has been accidents. It's all been accidental. I was probably an accident. <laughs> you know, if you look back that far, but I don't want to look back that far. We can all relate to that. But this whole, yeah, the whole thing is it's one accident after another led me to this place that I, I, I actually, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. Wow. No. Okay. So you find your first shed, you realize, okay, no. deer do this every year. So they're laying out there right for the taking. Right. How do I get more of these? Exactly. So I started. Uh, I started really studying that. Uh, I was buying all these uh, white you know, North American whitetail magazines and all it's a about. Joke of a magazine, they always show the, the. They always show the. You know the trophy whitetail and all that. And I was really excited about it. I still didn't really know how to find them except to go wander around. So that's what I did. It took me a while to find some on purpose. Um, and, and when I did, then I, I began following fence lines because the first set, the first antlers I ever found on purpose were, uh, were along uh, fence lines. Uh -huh. So I focused all my efforts on fence lines. I figured that when they jump over, maybe they're loose and they would fall off because that seemed to make sense to me. And uh, and I started there and I just advanced on to where I, I learned a lot of different ways to find them. Yeah, a lot of different places to look. So how many were you finding early on? Early on, I think the best year I ever had was uh, half a dozen, uh, six mm. the first few years. That's pretty good. Yeah. And, and now where you, you're t primarily shed hunting on public ground, or is that what the – where well, were you going? Start, yeah, starting out, uh, probably the first dozen years, it was all public ground. I never had much luck uh, gaining access to private property, even for bow hunting or rifle hunting. Um and I and even shed hunting, I thought it, it'd be better, easier to get on because you're not killing anything or whatever, you know. And some people don't like that. But I, I had a lot of trouble finding properties. Uh, but once, yeah. So the first twelve years or so, it was all all public land. And then I, as I settled into, uh, you know, the house I live in, moved into the neighborhood, started talking to people, getting to know more people. Then I, I I've grown a pretty good, a pretty good bunch of uh, private property that I can hunt. Very good. So, okay, fast forward. And now you have a, a, a dog named Bullet and th th there's another accident. And yeah. he, what, he, he takes to shed hunting in some form or fashion? Absolutely. Bullet was an accident starting out. Um, we had just lost a uh, another lab that uh, I had for like 13 years, I mm. think. And um, and we had lost him and we weren't planning on, uh, replacing him with any dog right away. But about three weeks after we heard about an accidental litter, uh, of labs, uh, about 50, 60 miles from us, 
my wife found out about it and everybody got so excited not only us i mean I, I guess everybody did because we were heading that way the next day and bullet was the last he was the last dog left so we we took mm-hmm. we took him then uh yeah so for the first four years of his life he just kind of lazed around the house because like i never heard of shed hunting prior to when i did yeah i certainly never heard of using a dog to to do this um actually my wife and i would go out and do it and the dogs would you know you just lay at home and it was an accident that got him out to the field too yeah all those years you had a secret weapon <laughs> staying yeah. at home i had no idea he never told me he he, yeah. he, basically, he basically let me go make my mistakes <laughs> and uh, hoping maybe that i would learn from it but i didn't so if I, you want, I, I'll get into how um, he got out in the field at four years old. Yeah, yeah. Take us through that. And then how you train a dog, you know, to get even more proficient at, at finding sheds. Sure. So my wife, as I said, my wife and I would go out hiking. We hiked a lot and we'd go shed hunting in the winter, every winter. And uh, one year around Christmas time, we were getting Christmas down out of the attic, which is where we store all our all our decorations and whatnot. And my wife went up there to grab something and she fell off the ladder and she landed down below and she she injured her back. So after a couple surgeries and all that physical therapy and whatnot, she couldn't go, you know, I mean, and I was itching, dying to get out there. I mean, I try to be, you know, compassionate and everything, but I can't sit in the house all winter long and not do anything. It drives me crazy. And I drove her crazy. So finally, it was just one weekend, uh, she got sick of me and she said, why don't you go shed hunting? You know, and I told her, I said, well, I, I would, but I've got no one to go with. And she looked over at the dog laying there and said, well, why don't you take bullet with you? Mm. And uh, I really didn't want to, I, I said, what, what good is he going to do me out there? You know, I mean, it's, I'm going to be chasing him around. How am I going to look for any antlers? And she said, it doesn't matter. Just take him. He needs the exercise. Look at him, you know. So she got him riled up about going for a car ride. And I started getting ready. Now I have to pack a water bowl. I got to pack some treats, you know, a leash, uh, I, I, my, uh, you know, maybe a cell phone to call search and rescue. But <laughs> So I, pack, I get all this stuff ready and the dog's still waiting at the door. Um, and I don't know why I did this, but I grabbed a little shed that I had. I, I probably had this for 10 years or so, uh, just a tiny little fork horn that would fit in my pocket. And I grabbed it on the way out the door. And when we got, I wanted to go to this one spot that I find a lot of antlers at year after year. And so I took him there and he jumped out and ran around. He was all excited and everything. And I called him over to me and I just took that antler and waved it in front of him and said, look, dude, this is what we're out here for. We're not out here to play. You know, we're, we're working. Um, uh, we have to find some of these bones. And he, you know, he sniffed at it and everything. And he, he showed an interest in it. Now, we've always had antlers everywhere in the house that he never even cared about. He would never even look at them. But for some reason, he, he saw this one. And from there, he, he took off running. And we just started walking around, walking around. Every once in a while, I just stopped and hold it in front of him to remind him what he was doing. And, uh, about an hour or so in, he took off and I couldn't find him. <laughs> when I finally found him, he, he was sitting on a shed. He hadn't learned to retrieve him yet, but he was sitting on one. Mm. So 
That's wow. pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then if you want to know about how to train him, uh, it, it really helped me that he basically knew what he was doing already. Yeah. Uh, so I never thought about training him or how to, how to train him. But after that first day when he found a couple out there, um, I thought, well, geez, maybe I better learn how, you know, how this works, how he knows how to do this. And maybe I can, uh, you know, get somebody up there. We had four dogs at that time. And maybe we could get some of the other ones interested in it too. Mm-hmm. How'd that go? <laughs> Sorry, Tim. Oh, it, it went horribly. <laughs> it went horribly. I, I have a German Shepherd lab mix who's so hard headed and he he's um I think he's almost four now and he still hasn't caught on. And he used to follow Bullet around the yard during our training sessions and watch him and mm-hmm. he'd do just fine. But if you get him out on his own in the real world, he doesn't care. That was kind of my question was, does it depend on kind of the individual disposition of the animal or, is, or do you find that this capacity is across all dogs? Uh, well, the capacity is definitely there, It's but it, it definitely depends on the individual. Some dogs just don't get it. Um, in studying this, when I finally decided to write a training manual about it, um, you know, there's German shepherds. Everybody thinks, oh, the police dogs. More German shepherds flunk out of police academy than ever get to ride in the back of a patrol car. Mm. You know, it, it's their disposition, their drive. There's a lot of different factors that you have to think about when you t- go into it. Um, and now, you know, I, I give some advice on online, on Facebook, mostly on those groups. And people, uh, it seems like, don't understand that, yeah, you, you have a black lab or whatever, the best dog to shed hunt with ever. And some of them just aren't going to care enough to do it. You know? hmm. So it's not every dog will do it. Looking back over your, because Bullet didn't start until he was four years old. Do you right. see any like formative experiences that he had that maybe kind of led to his ability to do this? As far as finding antlers, no. Uh, he did have, a, again, an accidental uh, experience that helped a lot in shed hunting and things like that. Because one of the major uh, concerns that I had bringing them out there, or that most people have bringing a dog out there, it's like, oh, can my beagle do it or whatever? Well, sure. A- any dog, any breed could do it. But when you get out there and the rabbit, you know, takes off from near your feet, is your dog going to chase that rabbit? And my uh, bullet, when he was about one year old, he chased a squirrel in our yard. And he almost impaled himself on a bent fence post. Oh, geez. Yeah. So after that, he wouldn't chase anything. I mean, a cat, cats could walk through, you know, or, or it didn't matter. So when I went to the field, you know, if you started some deer up out of a, uh, a brush pile or something, they, mm-hmm. he wouldn't chase anything. He would just wow. watch them go. You know? <laughs> like so that helped. But as far as finding the antlers... As far as finding the antlers, I mean, he grew up his entire life. He spent in a house where there were antlers everywhere. Mm -hmm. And we never, we never tried to dog proof the house. Like, uh, all the antlers were well, most of the antlers were well within reach of them at all times. They're on coffee tables end tables, uh, you know, they're everywhere, bookshelves. And he never cared. And uh, he just had, he just had this something that I, I can't describe it. It was something he Still, after he learned to shed hunt, he didn't bother with the antlers in the house. Hmm. He just wanted to find them outside. 
and he'd only look for them if I told him to. All right. So what would be, you know, the number one tip you could give somebody that, that kind of another um, amateur, so to speak, and not professionally trained and training dogs, what's the number one tip you would give them on trying to get their dog started in shed hunting? Okay, one, the number one tip is avoid all the accidents because it's not fun. Mm -hmm. uh, two, patience. You have to have a lot of patience and you have to understand that not one, not like we talk about, not every dog's going to do it and not every dog's going to want to do it every single day. You know, when you find that one dog that will, he's got that, that drive and that interest, uh, you know, take advantage of it and enjoy it while you can. As, uh, you know, a lot of dogs will go out and do it and lose interest after so long, but you just have to have a lot of patience and be willing to go out, put in the time and, and sometimes come back with nothing. Mm, you know? Sure. So what was the impetus for writing the book? Okay. The impetus for writing the book was, uh, I got on to all these, uh, the, as I mentioned them before, the Facebook groups, uh, there's thousands of them it seems like shed hunting this shed antler that and i was on a lot of those but i had never seen anything about dogs so when bullet found his antlers i was on there that night putting it look what my dog did mm -hmm. and everybody was like oh hey that's a great job oh you know what a good dog and then one guy i, I wish i could go back i could remember his name because he he gets a lot of the credit he, he said how did you do that how'd you teach your dog to do that and I mean, I, I shut the computer down immediately I, because I didn't do it. I didn't know how to do it. And I didn't know how to answer this guy. So I started researching how you would do this. And um, the morning after that first shed hunt, uh, I had uh, I had planted some uh, antlers out in the yard the, that night after the incident with the computer. And uh, I planted some sheds out in the yard. And the next morning, uh, we went outside and I told him to find the bones and he started looking and doing that. And that's how we started kind of developing our training method. So that was, and that was the impetus of the book because then after that, people just started asking how I did it, how I did it. And I figured I better find out. And after a while I was getting, you know, 10, 20, 30 questions a day of how I did this. And finally I just decided, you know, if I just put this all into one place, I won't have to answer all, all these emails and whatnot all the time. And, uh, yeah, and they take care of it that way. It's kind of also the genesis of DeerCast. <laughs> Quit asking Mark and Terry when they should go hunting. <laughs> oh, we'll just yeah. build an app for this. <laughs> or how to track their deer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So about how long ago was this when, when you first took Bullet out? Uh, well, I think it's like seven years now. It was seven yeah. years ago. Yeah. So in that time, you've you've got quite a bit of experience and and utilizing. And I know, and uh, condolences. I, I I saw that your dog had passed away uh, yeah. in December. I hate to hear that. Um, but what a fitting tribute. Uh, so so you had four or five years. No, you you had seven years with right. him where you were actually going out there and, and having success in the woods. Yeah. Yep. Seven years. He found a lot of antlers in that time. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you have a, an approximate count of how many scores Bullet had? Somebody asked me that. Somebody asked me that the other day, and he was somewhere in the in the mid one hundred. Oh man. 
I could use a dog like that because I, I mean, I'm in the somewhere in the mid single digits. <laughs> well, me too. <laughs> to, to me, the, the interesting thing about what you've done is, I mean, shed dogs, that's, that's a discipline. There are people that breed dogs. Uh, Roger Sigler with antler dogs. He like, that's his whole business. Dude, I, I met Roger after I wrote my book. I didn't I, I didn't know this existed. And he 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 actually lives ten miles from me. Oh no kidding. No, I, I yeah. And uh all this time uh, people are asking me how to train a dog when there's a guy ten minutes up the road who knows <laughs> how to train his a bread dog. And butter I, off I was, of it. <laughs> Here you... what, what are people thinking? <laughs> <laughs> you fell into yeah. it. It's incredible. Roger does a great job. He's a great guy too. I went up. I spent some time with him, and it, he's he's awesome. He does a great job up there. Agree. So, uh, you said the number one thing is to avoid the accidents. Give us a story of a of a crazy incident that that happened to you. I saw in, in in the Ford for the book something about you know going over a, a cliff's edge and you know almost falling down a well, and there's all kinds of things that 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 happen. So give us yeah. more pitfalls there. I just answered, I answered one of the uh, uh, people today on Facebook. In fact, before I got on here, somebody asked about uh, training the dog. How do you get the dog to go out farther? He's got a four month old puppy that he's trying to train the shed dog, uh, shed hunt. And the dog won't go more than 10 yards from him out in the field. And the, you know, the dog's looking for visual cues from you at that age. He, he doesn't have the confidence to just go wander off into mm -hmm. the woods by himself, especially when he knows you're, you know, you're trying to train him. You're, you're constantly talking to him. So he's paying attention. So he's not going to get that far from you. And I told him at that age, you really don't want him to uh, bullet and I hunted a, it's a private property about seven miles from me. And we've been on that property four or five, four or five seasons. Uh, leading up to this every time we went out there um, there was never any snow or anything on the ground and all the weeds and stuff had grown up and then that final year we went out there and I just it had snowed and as we're walking up this way where we find some antlers sometimes I saw this uh, it was just a shadow on the ground and I didn't know what it was and it turned out it was an open well and mm. I couldn't I couldn't believe it it, it was open and that thing went down forever, forever. And it was just out there. And we had walked by that probably, you know, a dozen times over the years. And I never even knew it was there. And I couldn't imagine having a four-month-old puppy, you know, wandering out in front of you. And you're trying to shoo him farther and farther away. And what he might just walk off into there like, well, I mean, I almost walked off into it. So, so you... I know, like, for instance, with Tracker John, who who uh, helps us track any of our, our deer that we have trouble finding uh, yeah. after we hit them, he, he's got a leash, and, I mean, it's super long. I mean, this thing, it, it's a really, really long leash, and he's constantly sure. pulling it in or, or letting the slack out. It's a pain. In the, it looks like it's a pain in the butt for him because of, yes. you know, the, the things the deer or that the dog can get into in the situations. But is that – would that be worth – doing Absolutely. having your dog on a leash for those types of situations absolutely a heavy duty you need to one i don't care what size dog you have you need the heavy duty leash you need metal hardware on it not the plastic nylon junk um, and the retractable leash they make those tape style ones with the flat tape yeah, don't ever do don't ever do that that's that's just wasting your money get the braided cord uh at my, the one that i kept bullet on was 
37 it was 37 feet oh uh so there there you are i mean you're you're over 10 yards right there and believe me with my eyes 10 yards is plenty far for him to find something that i would have walked past Mm. you know and there you keep them out i mean there's some places that i go where there's guys run traps and i don't want my dog stepping into a trap so i find out where where the traps might you know where his line is and i that on a leash like that i can keep them away from the traps i don't want them going into something like that sure. or or like i said into one of those open wells turns out there were three wells on that guy's property he had owned that property for over 20 years and he he didn't know that mm. they were there and i told him about it and we went and you know we covered them up but he had no idea either so there's some there's some hazards out there for sure yeah mark in your in your time watching bullet do his do his work do you think that it's easier for dogs to find fresh sheds because there's still you know the tissue is still maybe there on the pedicle and it's it's probably easier for them but they don't have a problem finding the older ones either Mm. those dogs noses are incredible and i you know in studying it for the book um because i was actually going to write a training training manual it was going to be cut and dried and that that didn't work out. If if anybody reads the book, they'll see it didn't work out. The training the training method is in the book. You can you can train your dog with the book, but you're gonna have to put up with a lot of my stories too. Um, but yeah, their noses are just incredible. They're built. They're completely different than ours. They're not even the same design, and they mm-hmm. use them in a manner to you know they're interpreting their entire environment they can find those that i don't care how old the shed is they could find it if they know what they're looking for Hmm. what's the strangest place you guys ever found a shed in a shed (laughs) matt (laughs) it's a shed shed The, the strangest place i've ever found a shed well i oh boy yeah that's tough there's so many strange places um, there's one spot that I go, um, I, I don't know why, but people like to put their tires or somebody put their tires historically in this one spot on a property and, um, in amongst the tires where it almost looks like somebody put it there, you know, huh. so like a human might've put it there. Huh. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. My phone's going off. <laughs> Find it in the tire pile. Yep. Tire pile. That's probably the strangest place. Um, so, so the book, where can people find this at? Uh, any online retailer, but all the on, online retailers get it from Amazon. So Amazon is probably the best place to go. Yeah. I, I don't know if you're open to this, but would you be willing to, for us to run a little uh, contest inside the rack pack and uh, give one of your books away? Absolutely. Absolutely. I have no problem doing that at all. I have to get one in the mail today, as a matter of fact, for somebody who won one uh, the other day. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Good deal. Maybe we'll have people send in their biggest shed to us and whoever sends in the biggest one, we'll send them a book. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that'll work. (laughs) All right. That'll be a good trade. (laughs) Or we'll have people make a comment on a post we'll make in the rack pack and we'll pick a random winner. Here's the deal, though. It should be a picture of them with the shed because you could go online and find any shed. (laughs) Yeah. No fakey shed shots. Yeah, and if you're doing the if you're doing the biggest one, make sure they hold it way out towards the camera. (laughs) So you're supposed to do it. So it looks nice and big. 
Yep, there you go. That's how you do it with fish and deer and everything. Damn, you missed a golden opportunity to use the soundboard there. Ah, man. Right. I'm no good. No, you're not. <laughs> but, but we're still going to help our friends out with this week's question of the day. All right. The question of the day is probably brought to you by Leopold, rugged to the core and ready for your next outdoor adventure. And I'd like to say a good pair of glass when you're shed hunting can really help you out. I personally like when I, and I'm not a great shed hunter, so I, I need all the help I can get. So when you're, especially when you're walking, say a fireman's line with a bunch of people or police line or whatever, you know, to be able to spot ahead because I, I've been on shed hunts with guys like Eric Boothin and, and these guys are unbelievably good at shed hunting and Aaron Bennett. And you got to be able to put the binoculars up and look out ahead of them because they, when they see them, their eyesight's incredible. When they see them, they're off like a rocket. They're off like a bullet. I should say. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Philip, here you go, buddy. Hi, this is Philip Entwistle from Atlanta, Georgia. My question to you is, uh, when dealing with tracking a deer onto neighboring property and the person that owns the neighboring property isn't a hunter, I just recently, uh, about a month ago, shot a, a nice buck and went on the neighbor's property, and he was not a hunter by any means, and I caught an earful, and uh, I was as nice as could be. Um, he eventually did let me go track after the deer, and uh, but he was not very happy with it and told me I should not be hunting the deer in the area because they are like pets. So that's my question. Just wondering what your opinion is. Thank you very much. Thank you, Philip. Uh, shoot me a message and we'll get you a deer cast hat because we used your question of the day on the show. It sounds like he should reach out to the guys over at Seek One. <laughs> he's, he's in Atlanta, Georgia. That's exactly their scenario all the time. I'm mm-hmm. sure they got all kinds of stories. But I, that's a really tough scenario. And I'm sure, Mark, you kind of run into this when shed hunting. It's obviously way different, but trying to ask permission to go shed hunt properties. But I, I, it's a real sticky situation. And when you, especially when you run into somebody that's vehemently against hunting, that, that's a tough, that's a tough fence to cross, so to speak. Um, I, I think, you know, that you did it the right way by kind of, you know, being polite, respectful, uh, ple- pleading your case. And, and, you know, I wonder if, and if you do happen to recover the animal, if it's a situation where you show back up, you know, a little bit after the fact with some processed deer, you know, uh, you know, deer sausage or, you know, some ground deer or whatever, and, and maybe present them with what the end result was, which, Hey, here's why we're actually doing it. Trying to, you know, trying to feed ourselves and our families and our friends from it. So that doesn't help you in the moment, obviously, but that might be a way to, to, to gain that access again, because if you're continuing to hunt the same property, there's a good chance that you're going to run into that same problem from time to time. Uh, the deer I shot in the late season, uh, on that, the new lease, um, it ran onto the neighboring property. Fortunately for us, we have a good relationship. Our lander landowner does with, with him. And so first thing we did is we told our landowner, he called that landowner and uh, he, he kind of pleaded the case uh, and, and the guy had no problems with it. We tried to be very respectful, mm-hmm. just follow the blood trail right in and, uh, and not disturb his property too much. And then 
you know, quietly back out of there. So um, those are things that, you know, they don't see, obviously, it not being on the on the track job with you. But uh, you never know what cameras might be out there or, or whatnot. So just, you know, be respectful of that person's property and, and uh, try to be in and out as quickly as possible. And maybe call them after you retrieved your animal and let them know and let them know where you found it. So they know where you were at on the property. Uh, we used the OnX app and did the, used the track function and I screenshot it and sent it to the landowner. And, and then he was able to, to relay that to the neighboring landowner. So, so those are just a couple of tactics, you know, but it, it, if you don't get permission, you know, it certainly can be tough. Another thing you can ask them is if they would like to go on the track job with you. I know on Terry's property, uh, if neighbors happen to hit a deer, him or Forrest usually go on that track job with them and help them out. So that's another uh, option. Not that a non-hunter would want to do that, but it might give them peace of mind that you're not doing anything, you know, that you shouldn't be on their property. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, do you have any uh, additional insights there? Uh, well, I, I, I had a lot of insights back when I would go looking for places to go hunting and I get thrown off of, off of people's porches they be like hey, you're not hunting any deer on my land but now for shed hunting i always offer to uh either uh let them have the antlers that any antlers that i find or uh which is more uh more than what i want i'll build them a lamp uh, like a table lamp or something out of ant an antler and give it to them for you know in, in exchange for permission to walk their ground that's pretty cool. And that was a question I had, like what, what you do with, with the antlers, because you got to have a lot over the years. Yeah, my, my wife made a, a chandelier for over our dining room table. They're, lay, they're still laying around everywhere, <laughs> honestly. Oh, cool. but, but I built uh, table lamps out of old textile mill spools mm. um, from an antique shop, and I, I think they're pretty classy looking. And, yeah, that's pretty much what I maybe do. You could, if, maybe you could send us a picture of that chandelier. We could use it as B-roll in, in the – the video show. Oh yeah, I'll absolutely do that. You know, yeah. the one other thing I would add to uh, Philip's question, <clears throat> because I, I hunt a lot of suburbia, so they're very small plots and it's very likely the deer is not going to die on the ground you shot it on is, um, is early on. If I'm new to a spot, uh, it may make more sense for my landowner to go next door and have the conversation with the neighbor because they already yeah. likely know them. And That's so it's not idea. like some random guy in camouflage walking up asking to come on their property. It's like, oh, it's Jeff next door asking if one of his buddies can step over and retrieve their deer. That's a, that's a pretty great point. And, you know, and that, that's, that's another thing, you know, coming up because usually it's going to happen at night a lot of the time you're knocking on somebody's door you, you you know trying to get permission to go they may not be in the best disposition right out of the gate just based on how you approached them whether you're the nicest guy in the world or not you know I it's yep. <laughs> well <laughs> debatable but in general you think about that and some strangers come and knocking on your door and they're dressed in camouflage and you probably leave the weapon in your vehicle <laughs> so you don't have that addition to add to it but i'm sure it's uh, off-putting for some people uh, the other thing just uh, mentally is to realize you don't have the right to retrieve your deer like you are you are coming to them in a position of, I don't want to say weakness, but like you're hoping that they will grant you permission. Don't, you can't come at it with the expectation that they're going to allow you to do this. 
And I think that changes, it probably changes your attitude and maybe how you posture yourself in that conversation. Now, I, I think is that, can that be different from state to state though? And you're in the laws and the regulations. I know in Missouri that you don't have that right to go retrieve it. Cause I know people have called game wardens and you know, their hands mm-hmm. are a little bit tied. I, I don't know if that's the case for every state. I just, I'm not aware of all the, the laws. I, I'm sure there are some, some variations. I know like South Dakota, I think you can pretty much hunt wherever you'd like to as long like if someone has a no hunting sign up then you can't but like it's considered like we went up there pheasant hunting and it's pretty much like all open unless it's marked otherwise so i think there are probably some differences state to state i'm gonna get tore from the pheasant hunters now for something i said i'm sure but oh yeah <laughs> okay and uh this week's wildlife word it is brought to you by tracker off-road Clean and silent, plenty of power and no exhaust. Get your gobbler this spring with a stealth of an all electric, all electric tracker EV unit. Ooh-wee. And uh, also great for shed hunting, big open fields. <laughs> yes. like, that's a good way to cover some ground. Just don't find them with your tires. True. It's the expensive way of doing it. Absolutely. Okay. The question uh, or the, the wildlife word this week is, uh, is about deer antler supplements. I don't know if you guys have heard, but these are apparently a thing. So deer antler supplements have been taken for years by these kinds of people. A, bodybuilders. B, the infertile. C, those suffering from joint issues. D, idiots. Or E, all of the above. You're struggling for her. <laughs> this is not a good one, Tim. <laughs> We let the guests go first, so you're up, Mark. What, what D was idiots. I, thought, I heard yeah. that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say all of the above. Yeah, I'm gonna say all, all right, of the above. Marshall. What I know about the Far East. Yeah, Mark's, yeah. <laughs> Mark's casting a wide net. Yeah, I'm with him. Yeah. Okay. Matt's on board too, and you guys are both right. Congratulations. Hey, we win. Yeah, and yeah. the reason idiots is in there is because there's very little science or research to back up that they do anything other than provide a few minerals that are actually in the bone. Now, there are supplements made from deer antler velvet that have a lot of like bioactive compounds in them um, that put them kind of in a different class. But uh, but in general, there's not a whole lot of research that indicates it does much other than just kind of gives you a a few minerals and nutrients. Yeah, see, I never, I never knew that about the velvet. You learn something new every day. It's a good, it's a good wildlife word, isn't it, Mark? Yeah, it's fantastic. Yes. Well, it has I'm something to do. Often. <laughs> <laughs> and it has some. The velvet side it just has something to do with the the how amazingly fast that can grow, right? And it, while it's in the velvet stage, is that because I know, like in the Far East, that does there are some properties that they. They cherish because of that, right? Absolutely. Yeah, there is. What are you trying to say, Matt? Yeah. What? I don't know. Property. Don't try this cherishing. at home. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in some places, it's considered an aphrodisiac. Yes. Aha. Mm-hmm. That's the properties. <laughs> That's it. 
<laughs> okay, so we'll make sure to put a link to um, to get your book on Amazon there, Mark, in the show notes. So okay. folks are interested. Also in the show notes is a link to get to the 100% Wild Rack Pack on Facebook, that Facebook group. Also, also is a link to get to our voicemail service. So you can leave us a question of the day. And if we use it on the show, get a hold of me and we'll send you a Deer Cast hat. Boom. You're a winner. That's right. Mark, you, you have any parting shots for us? Any words of wisdom as we walk out the podcast door? Just, uh, yeah, well, I'm a book. No, just, uh, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're planning to do this, just remember patience is the absolute that's the most important ingredient. And uh, whether your dog can find the antler or not, you know, the time that you spend out there uh, with your dog or, you know, your family, your kids, it, just take advantage of it while you can because mm-hmm. it, it's really a great time. Well said. It, it, where can we find you at on social media? What are your handles? Uh, I'm on Facebook at Mark author on uh, Facebook and Jeez, I'm, I'm on, oh my God, I'm on YouTube, Twitter. Um, I'm on, uh, oh, let me think of it. Hold on a second. It's American author Mark Wallowitz. American author Mark Wallowitz all together is uh, where you can find me. All righty. Cool. Well, we appreciate you jumping on with us today. Oh, I appreciate uh, you having me on here. Uh, you guys do a great job. I really like you. I really like your show. And uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate it. Thanks. You're the first person that's ever said that. So thank you. Uh, he's probably talking about 13. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the real shows that we do. <laughs> yeah, safe bet. All right, well, next week, Matt, do you know what we got coming up next week? I don't. <laughs> it's episode number 251. Ah, yes, 251. <laughs> so if you guys like numbers, especially two and five and one, that'll be the show you want to tune into. That, that, that's the one. Hey, I got a two and a five and a five behind hey. me. Hey. <laughs> A very auspicious for our 255th show. There you go. Nice job. (laughs) All right, everyone, thank you for watching. We sure appreciate it. Share the show, review it over on Apple Podcasts, and uh, that'll ensure that we keep our jobs. All right. Till next time. See ya. Peace out. Temperatures are going to be dropping. Perfect conditions for the skinny field. Got to focus on those afternoon hunts. Northwest Tree Stand, 5 p.m. It's the easiest decision you'll make this season. Get ahead of your game with DeerCast.